0: Hey guys, welcome to a new episode of the Sauce at the Scary. Derek Zhu, Jeff, right here with you. Jeff, what's going on, man? How are you?
1: I'm doing really well. I'm thankful for uh, your pick of this movie, man. I, I have enjoyed the rewatch and, and digging into the movie, and excited to talk to you about it.
0: Awesome. Yeah, man, me too. Uh, For those of you that don't know, we're going to be talking about The Crow uh, from 1994 that just celebrated its 25th anniversary. And you know how much we love uh, anniversaries and stuff here on the show. So we thought it would be apt to talk about this one. Um, before we do, though, man, you had a little brush with greatness last night.
1: Yeah, a, uh, a ten dollar per picture brush with greatness. Yeah, it was. You know the <laughs> the Joe Bob Briggs experience, which this is no criticism for me. I had a blast and thought it was well worth uh every penny i spent on it but it's surprisingly like visiting an old wrestler's merch table at a i don't know at a show yeah uh you know it was ten dollars for a selfie um ten dollars to have something you brought autographed or you could buy some of the merch there and that was built into the cost i'm like oh yeah ricky the dragon steamboat right here man
0: yeah yeah man they're all they're all cornies. All yeah, those all those people from that era.
1: Well, and more power to them for making money. Again, I'm not begrudging any of it. I just knew you would appreciate the uh, the similarities. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Come here, kid. I got a gimmick to steal you. Yeah, he was selling his gimmick for sure. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Now having said that, you know, this is basically he would specifically, I think, mentioned last night that he would be frustrated to hear someone describe it this way. But that was a lecture or a presentation. You know, Joe Bob stood behind a lectern and talked and then like played clips and displayed images to illustrate his points. Uh, it was fascinating. And I've realized that Joe Bob Briggs is just one of these people who's super brilliant not just because he knows everything about, you know, drive-in movies and has mastered the subject of Roger Corman, but he's just brilliant across the board. He mentioned last night, uh we were in Nashville, he got his I guess his bachelor's uh, at Vanderbilt in Whoa. Oh. yeah in literature and uh, you know Jody Webster who has been on this podcast often referenced even more he was there as well and, and he talked about Joe Bob recently addressed Google about satellite arrays and uh, we I actually figured something out with Joe Bob he used to be part of this televangelist watchdog group called the Trinity Foundation and I met his work through them before I met him on Turner with Monster Vision I mean. Just think about how broad the profile of work is that I just described. And last night he talked about the the subject was how Redneck saved Hollywood. And he began with uh, Cumberland Presbyterianism and its roots in John Knox's reforms in Scotland and then just traced it down to. Uh, modern day Hollywood. And I'm, I mean, I'm oh just telling you, it, it was fascinating. Like I'm paid to talk to people by two different institutions. I go right. listen to people talk a lot. I get, I mean, I'll, I'll pay to go listen to someone talk. It was one of the most captivating information, rich, uh, entertaining talks I have ever been to. And uh, Joe Bob fits into the category of what we mentioned with Zac Efron. I think just intellectually, some guys get extra and he definitely yeah. got extra.
0: Wow, I gotta be honest with you, man. I never would have expected that. <laughs> like, I—I I mean, not to sell Joe Bob short, but I just.
1: If you would have told me any of that going into the, you know, going into that lecture last night, I'd have been like, "Come on, man!" Oh yeah, I mean, I knew a little bit of that. Like, I, again, I knew he was a master of like Roger Corman and drive-in movies, right? Mm-hmm. But I mean, at one one point early on, we were he had a laser pointer on a map of Scotland, England, and Ireland, moving over into central Pennsylvania, then moving working southward as. The people group from, uh, you know, what we would call uh, Scots Irish people ended up in central Pennsylvania and basically used the Appalachian Highway as their, uh, excuse me, the Appalachian Mountains as a highway down into uh, the southern U.S. and then westward. And dude, I was fascinated. There's a guy standing in like a rhinestone cowboy jacket behind a lectern in a hipster movie theater talking about Scots Irish history, and I was riveted. Wow. Yeah, I I think my ticket was twenty five bucks, and uh, it was some of the best money I've spent in a long time for infotainment which sounds crazy but that's exactly what it was
0: wow well that's crazy man I mean I'm glad you guys had that opportunity to go to that I just (laughs) that's just not what
1: I expected Yeah, I don't know
0: what I expected, but I didn't expect that.
1: Yeah, me me either, really. And I tried to talk my wife into going, and she's like, "Man, I don't want to watch him, you know, watch a movie and talk about it because she's watched some of the driving stuff with me." I'm like, "Hey, that's not what he's doing." She's like, "Well, there's no lecture he's going to give. It's going to be in my wheelhouse the way it is in yours." So she didn't go, and I came back and today while we were getting ready, I was unloading this stuff on her. She's like, "I cannot believe that I missed that. I so badly want to go." Yeah, I mean, I'm not I'm not paid by Joe Bob. We have no formal (laughs) relationship, but I'm. If he comes to your area or your driving radius and he's he's speaking, you know, last night convinced me it's well worth to go here. If he wants to talk about, you know, the art in Dr. Seuss novels, go hear him. But the talk specifically how Redneck saved Hollywood was absolutely fascinating. So anyway, I'm with you. I wouldn't have expected this. I probably had a higher anticipation index than you did. But nonetheless, I was absolutely blown away. Yeah,
0: man, that's awesome. Um, Again, I'm really glad that you guys had the opportunity to go see that I'm a little jealous that I wasn't able to, to be there
1: Well, in hindsight, man You know, the reason Jody and I went to this is that we both kicked around long and hard going to see him in Chattanooga when he was there for the film fest. Oh, yeah. And decided against it. And I thought, man, really, the best world would have been for me, Jody and Derek to end up in Chattanooga watching him, you know, with your compatriots up there. Yeah. And my love for that city. But anyway, yeah, I wish I wish uh, I wish I could go back. I wish I could go back with you. I wish I could go back with my wife. Um it, it, I mean again, I'm I'm gushing, but uh I, I really if if you uh listener, if you go attend one of these Joe Bob infotainment events and you're not completely happy you spent your money that way, let me know and I will send you an autographed copy of the podcast. There you go. What an offer, right? That is. I mean that's that's well over the twenty five dollar price range. For sure, for sure. I that's how much we love people. We give away our gimmicks.
0: Yeah. You don't have to, you come up to our table, you're going to get a signed eight by 10. You don't even have to buy anything. At
1: least definitely a, you know, a free selfie, but anyway. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, man, complete and total success. The Belcourt theater in Nashville is a super cool theater. You know, I was looking at their marquee. They're not nothing against this. They're not playing in game and a dog's journey. They've got really interesting films that, that aren't getting wide release. And bringing in Joe Bob for an event like this just kind of ratchets up their cool factor. Sure. Um, So thanks to the Belcourt Theater just outside of Vanderbilt. And thanks to Joe Bob for a great evening. I bought a $30 t-shirt so I could have a t-shirt and take a picture with Joe Bob. And uh, I'm very happy I did so. Yeah. Was it a Roman Reigns t-shirt? No, nah, man. He didn't sell any. If he did, like, I would have bought two. Yeah. But <laughs> he just... Can you imagine that? Joe Bob Briggs. <laughs> Joe Bob Briggs is selling other people's gimmicks. I mean, there's a world where Joe Bob Briggs worked for a time as like a, a Smoky Mountain wrestling uh, manager. Dude,
0: you could you could interchange Joe Bob Briggs and Action Mike Jackson, and they're one of the
1: same. I, w- I want to, you know, if we ever develop Avengers technology like we see in Endgame, I'm going to go to the fork where Joe Bob worked for Jim Crockett for a while. <laughs> it had to have happened. For sure. For sure. And, man, it's just crazy. I didn't realize he had Nashville ties. I knew he was from yeah. Texas. So he's like, yeah, when I was in school at Vanderbilt here. And, you know, I don't know what the national perspective on Vanderbilt is but Vanderbilt is pretty much the most prestigious school in Tennessee it or Sewanee but Vanderbilt has a higher profile um, yeah. and you know you find that out and he starts talking about his Nashville cred about you know he went and heard David Allen Coe uh, perform take this job and shove it the day after he wrote the song at, at the exit in or whatever I mean it's just it, it just it was a gift that kept on giving again I'm going to stop gushing but seriously one of the happiest decisions I've made in a long time
0: well good man sounds Sounds like he just cheat popped all over the place last night, so that's
1: good. Yeah, I spent the whole time laughing. Uh great callbacks, like Joe Joe Bob really does uh, know what he's doing as a performer and uh <laughs> I, I couldn't have been more impressed.
0: Well good man. I'm I'm happy. So there you go, listener. You have the Jeff Wright endorsement to go see Jim Roy Haley, um anywhere that he might be uh if he's in your area so don't miss out on that for sure for sure
1: cool man and i'll go back if i signed up for his mailing list i will go back the first chance i get All right. Well, hey, man, keep me
0: updated. Okay. if we if we can go, I'd love to.
1: Yeah, I I would very much love to do that with you to come out and talk about it all, because, I mean, this wasn't particularly he couldn't get away from referencing like I spit on your grave or uh, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. But this wasn't even like horror specific. I can't imagine what it'd be like if it was horror specific. I think I would stay there for eight hours if he wanted to keep talking. Yeah. Uh the other thing is I told him when I shook his hand to get that selfie that I live in this little town that has a functioning drive in and we you and I have kicked around the idea of renting that thing and doing like a live podcast. Yeah. We uh we rented out, bring in Joe Bob. People come from miles around and we do a live podcast with Joe Bob. Uh I I got dreams in my head, Derek Zo. Yeah, what you, did he commit to that or anything? I didn't pitch it, but I asked the lady working his oh, okay. table how to be in in contact, and so there was a yeah like a wrestling event. They had a an email yeah. sign up sheet, and she said, "Get on this list and uh, reply to it, and we'll we'll follow up with you." So I'm gonna reach out. We'll see. I don't know that anything will come of it, but it's a shame that this guy he like he said, "Oh yeah, I definitely know where Cookville is." When I told him where I was from, and I said, "Well, right outside of it, there's a functioning drive in." And anyway, uh, I'd like to move. I don't know. I don't know if you could do it, but I'd love. Move yes. forward on that yeah man we should
0: we should really kick that around like we should really make that happen
1: yeah I'm, i mean i'm assuming he would have a high a high booking cost but i really think people would drive from all around to come hear him so i think we could recoup yeah. the money pretty easy and it would be a blast
0: yeah that would be a lot of fun
1: huh i'll quit talking about joe bob now but strong endorsement from jeff right
0: there you go so go check him out if he's in your area does he have a website or anything jeff
1: have no idea actually i'm i guess i'm just gonna wait on that first new newsletter and if it doesn't show up in the next couple of weeks um i'll go track that stuff down
0: okay well, i'll uh i'll be on the we'll be on the lookout to see sorry i'm trying to look to see uh is his uh is his official website uh, okay and you can it looks like he's got a tour calendar there as well so you can check it out see if sweet. he's in your area sweet cool all right man well, hey, uh, I I feel like since we're talking about a horror slash comic book movie, which is apt because *Brightburn* uh, came out today, uh, which I think is going to lean more horror than it is comic book. But um, since we're since we're in that genre right now, I feel like we'd be remiss to to not talk about uh, the Avengers. You know, the Avengers came out uh, about a month ago, and you and I have had a few conversations off air about it, but we really haven't been able to give our our reviews or our opinions on the air. And I know that there's some of you uh, that aren't the biggest comic book fans. Uh, for those of you that aren't, watch Stream 3 for the next 10 minutes and then come back and uh, listen to the podcast.
1: Well, yeah, let's definitely talk about it. And I will put timestamps for the review in the show notes. So, listener, you if you've go. made it this far, and like, hey, I don't want to hear him talk about game just check your show notes real quick there should be a clickable link to jump ahead to our our review of the crow so yeah man let's do that
0: all right dude, pop in what's up talk to me
1: well i guess the place to start is i've seen it four times so far how many times have you seen it Uh, i am right there with you okay so it's a movie that rewards multiple rewatches Mm -hmm. i mean this is just broad strokes to start the conversation with Uh, it's a really high quality movie It's not a perfect movie, but the thing I needed it to do most, um, which is, one, be a Steve and Tony movie. Yeah. Uh, And then number two, give me a satisfying conclusion to their stories. I thought it knocked out of the park. Now, again, not a perfect movie. I think it can be nitpicked, and, and, you know, it's probably like, I don't know, it's definitely not the best Marvel movie, but it's top five, top three. You know, I'm not trying to sing the praises as highly as I did for Joe Bob, I guess, but uh, I, I'm not a complete rose-colored glasses fanboy about it. But, again, the thing I needed most from it, it delivered in spades. So you don't think it's the best Marvel movie? No, I I don't have major criticisms for it. Uh, other than just a little continuity stuff, which would be, you know, it's hard to keep continuity over 20 films. And Kevin Feige is to be applauded for having done so, so well. But I, I just think Black Panther and Winter Soldier, those, those are the, uh, the 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 two most awesome movies in my mind from Marvel. OK. And they were super tight. The There's no real weak points or letdowns, in my opinion, in those. Uh, both of those are pretty much perfect movies in my mind, even, a, you know, I'm saying that beyond just the superhero genre. Yeah. And so in that sense, I'm going to say those two are definitely better. OK. Um. But, you know, from three down to five, I could I could be persuaded. Yeah. And so those are my general thoughts. I'd love to hear you react to it or just lay yours out.
0: Oh, man. Um I mean, I, you know, I think I think I've told you this. I think this movie has replaced The Dark Knight as my favorite movie. Yeah, that's high praise, um, my friend. And after after watching it as many times as I have, and knowing the beats and knowing what's coming and and everything, it's still like I I can't wait to go back and watch it again. Um, if we didn't have such a great string of movies coming out over the next two or three weeks, I probably would just go back and watch it more. Yeah. As um, a matter of fact, I'm going to try to watch it one more time before it leaves theaters. That's
1: that's a solid plan. So tell me tell me favorite stuff. I mentioned Tony, and I know you're even a bigger fan than I am of RDJ. Uh, maybe three things you like the best about Endgame? Um,
0: as, as masochistic as this may sound, I love... The whole Tony Stark arc
1: in this movie—no pun intended, from, right? Art major, yeah. Right,
0: right. Um, from you know Captain Marvel rescuing them at the uh, you know in the beginning of the movie to you know him having his kid with Pepper and their whole dynamic and how adorable you know she was with him and uh you know the, the time travel stuff that 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 scene where he says the s word and she repeats it i know like that's probably the the wrong kind of humor but i still think it's adorable um i don't recommend it to any parent but i still think it's funny sure. um sure and yeah i mean you know i i think i've gone on record as saying that like batman was always my favorite superhero like my own, my favorite comic book superhero but i think in in the like movie medium i think iron man's got to be it yeah and to see him uh, i haven't i have not watched that movie without ugly crying when you know it's time for him to do what he has to do so i that was really fun. Um, I really enjoy the Steve Rogers story. Like you said, um, you know, that fight between the two of them is fantastic and has such great callbacks to earlier stuff. And I just, I think it's, it's one of the highlights of the movie. Um, and then of course on your left, yeah, that's, you know, where we get to see all these, these superheroes come back and, uh, you know, fight again. Like it's just, you know, and, and it could just be, I've watched it recently, and you know, my emotions are still pretty high because this is the culmination of the last, you know, 11 years of, of watching these movies. But it's going to be hard to beat that one. Uh, I, and I agree with you, it's not a perfect movie. Um, But it's, I mean, it's darn, in my
1: opinion, it's darn close. Sure, sure. You know, you talked about ugly crying. Uh, Interestingly, in a way, I guess I should have expected, but watching it opening night, it's the closest I've ever been to watching a movie as a live sporting event. Yeah. And I mean, I get, should we Wahlberg this? Probably. Okay. So look, I'm going to talk.
0: Just in case.
1: Yeah. So just heads up, spoiler time, Mark, if you want to come on in. What? No. Spoiler alert. When Tony, when I saw Tony give himself to save the world, I was, you know, I figured something like this was on the table, but I was really stunned by it. And it really didn't like get dusty in my seat till uh till we realized, you know, the family's watching his last video before uh you know conducting his funeral or whatever but then on on subsequent rewatches uh i get choked up earlier and earlier uh you know yeah. it was him saying I'm Iron Man and snapping, and then you know, like Pepper coming to him as he lays dying. Then, you know, uh, Peter hugging him when they're first reunited. Yeah, um, the I Love You 3000 scene with a daughter becomes much more poignant, uh, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's not, you know, I, I, I'm not like I'm not a super sensitive male in touch with my emotions, but I think that movie rose above four panel comic book stuff into uh, a really impressive drama and I say that as a comic book fan uh, that's not you know I'm not saying that comic book movies are some kind of garbage or second tier entertainment I just feel like this movie went even beyond what I already liked about comic books
0: yeah yeah um, you know and and that's the thing about it like you know you and I've talked about this before I I think when we when we reviewed Venom, we talked about how Marvel has really stepped their game up, and how people don't want to handle like the B movie comic book movie anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, we think that it's got to have all this gravitas and emotion. And, you know, blah, blah 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 But when you when you stop and think about it, like we sat through some crap in the '80s and early '90s, and even in the early 2000s, like we went through some crap when it came to superhero movies.
1: Uh, yeah, and and superhero movies that. Kevin Feige was ostensibly in control of. Um, I've been showing my kids the first two Fantastic Four movies because they watched Endgame with me and I was like... It'll be fun to watch them realize Chris Evans is in here as the human torch. Right. And, you know, we watched it and I was just surprised to see Kevin Feige listed as an executive producer. And I thought, wait a minute, did you not have your fastball or what's going on here? Yeah. Uh, but anyway, so yeah, we sat through some crap and like, I think to whatever degree he had control. I know Fox had heavy hands in that movies, but those series of movies, but, um, I also think we like we hung with those guys while they were learning how to do movies yeah. and iron man came along and they were like oh this is it
0: yeah and you you know you had such a great uh, i mean i could gush over robert downey jr every day all day um but you know you have one of the greatest actors of the last generation hey, playing you know the early guy you've got a director who has always I, I mean i've always loved john favreau stuff and uh You know, he doesn't disappoint in that first movie, and you just see, like, oh, this is how it's going to be. And, you you know, the crazy part about that is, is, like, that movie came out the same year The Dark Knight came out, and... Uh, You know, there's there was a lot of people that were like, I mean, the Dark Knight's a great movie, but Iron Man was amazing. Mm -hmm. You know, at the end of the year, you know, I remember a lot of like best of lists and stuff were saying like the Dark Knight number two, Iron Man number one. And it's hard to argue with that. Like, I I still think Iron Man might be my favorite Marvel movie.
1: Well, that, you know, that gets to to what you said about Jon Favreau. I mean, he is the unsung hero here because Marvel was kind of floundering in there partnership projects and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that guy came along and showed them how to make a very comic faithful, entertaining, compelling movie with, with rich characters. And again, I think there've been a lot of people who have taken that and ran with it. You know, um, I'm going to say that the, the two movies I already mentioned winter soldier and black Panther are better but it, they don't get there apart from Favreau coming in to lay the lay out the map, basically, I don't want to say the groundwork, but he just said, "Hey, look, here's how you do it and then they went and played with the themes and uh i mean, I hope that history looks kindly on him as a director for that because this you know the Marvel Cinematic Universe has taken over Hollywood, and again, I think he is literally the linchpin.
0: yeah man yeah i I completely agree with that, and you know they just. Sorry, I'm trying to I I didn't know that Kevin Faye was in charge of those more or those early like two thousand Marvel movies. That's interesting. I didn't
1: until I saw it on the credits. Um,
0: Yeah. Uh, You know, maybe he saw... Like, maybe he didn't have his hand in a lot with that. And he saw how these characters were being, for the lack of a better word, abused. Mm -hmm. And he went to whomever and said, we've got to open our own studio. We we have to have control of these characters. We need to be able to
1: do these movies the right way. And so maybe... Uh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was just gonna say I wouldn't be surprised because that's exactly what happened.
0: Yeah, maybe, maybe we had to endure the suck to get what we've gotten, and and if that's the case, I'm down for it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It was it was a price well worth the cost. I mean, it was a uh, uh, a product well worth the cost, and I'd be you know be happy to pay it with my cinematic dollars all over again. Yeah. The, Absolutely, man. The last thing I've got on that is that, again, I needed it to be a, a Tony and Steve movie. I, I know that the franchise is being handed off to Spider Man and Black Panther and Captain Marvel. That's cool. That's cool, you know. Um, but the axis of this first phase, which I, I guess uh, Foggy has said wraps up with the next Spider Man movie, not in game. So that's it an interesting. Uh, thing that I'm looking, I'm, I'm interested in seeing how it plays out. But you know, the 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 axis is in the first Avengers, Steve and Tony fighting about their their differences, right? So Iron Man uh, accuses Steve of of being a science experiment. Everything special about mm-hmm. you came out of a bottle, mm-hmm. and. You know, Steve looks back and says, cool, you got the suit, you got the invention stuff, but you're not the kind of guy to make the sacrifice play. And then by the time we get to endgame, we know Steve is worthy. Um, I mean, of course, we knew some of this from the first Avenger, but when he picks up Mjolnir, we realize, yep, Steve's worthy. It's not what's... In the super soldier serum, it's what he was before that that makes him unique. And Tony right. makes the sacrifice play, and it's—I mean, I, I love Tolkien. I think of him as an incredible storyteller and like big picture mapping stuff. We're living in the age. I've never, you know, watched Game of Thrones, but people really love uh, George R.R. R. Martin as a storyteller. We've seen things like Breaking Bad play out. Uh, I think the Marvel Cinematic Universe Phase One or whatever. Is as impressive a long con storytelling arc around these two characters as I've ever seen, and mm-hmm. I read a lot of literature.
0: Yeah, man, I I couldn't agree more with that, and. You know, I think I don't know if I was talking to you about this. Or if I was talking to I mean, I've, I've said this to several people, but I was really happy that they focused on the original six in this movie yeah, me too. and told and told their story um, because it had been real easy to try and incorporate the next generation, you know, the Black Panther, Spider Man, Captain Marvel, especially Captain Marvel, man. Sure. You know, Captain Marvel has been, Philip, what, for the last year, touted as like the savior of the, you know, of the MCU, right? Like, mm-hmm. she's going to come in, she's going to come in, she's going to rock Thanos, and, you know, it's game over. And so to have her not be in this movie as much as she was, or as little as she was, I thought, at first, I felt a little cheated uh, because. I wanted a uh, Carol Nick Fury reunion in the
1: movie sure
0: um, but the more that I thought about it the more I was like no that was the right move to make because you don't you've got more time to spend with those characters you know yeah. Samuel L. Jackson is, is immortal and he's never going to die and so he's going to be in all these movies for, from now until the end of time so you have you have those opportunities to see that in Captain Marvel 2 right sure So, you know, don't you don't have to you don't have to give the goods away uh, for everything in this movie. So it was just again, it was just nice to see them stick with the original six, Um, and to see them pay off. Arguably, the you know the top two most popular characters, you know, of the last 11 years, the way that they did was, was uh, very apt. And I, you know, it's, it's a movie that I can't, like, again, like I said, I can't wait to go see it again. I wish I had time to go see it today. <laughs> I'd go, you know, I'd go watch it, but um, I look forward to seeing it again, and I can't wait to own it. And I'll probably watch it every day for a month straight.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it'll be a, it'll be a appointment viewing situation for the right family. Yeah, absolutely. So
0: I, uh, I can't can't give the movie enough high praise. Uh, real quick, I mean, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't do this. What
1: are your nitpicks? Uh, there's some, there's some, uh, some continuity stuff. You know, like I wonder. What it means, and, and and I just give it to the Russos. They could they could fix this or you know explain it. But like the idea that Steve went back and lived through, an, I guess, an alternate timeline with mm-hmm. Peggy. But then you know the Russos have come out and said that Peggy's kids are his. So how does that work? Um, also, just wonder how Steve Rogers goes back in time and sets out. With his wife, and maybe he didn't do this, but how does he sit out all the stuff that's happening in the world uh, in those eras, right? We've got national, if not wars, conflicts like Korea and Vietnam. And in the comics, all the HYDRA stuff is developing there, too, we would assume. And, like, does he just ride it out in a suburban home dancing the night away? I'm I'm okay. You know, he's put his time in. If it's retirement, I don't think he's required, but it just seems like his moral compass wouldn't let that happen. Right. Um, it, it's more about you know just Steve's arc, and I would like to have seen a um, a version where Steve becomes basically Fury. And I guess maybe we'll get that. Although I think Chris Evans has said he's he's largely done. I also, uh, as a comic book nerd, I'm really excited about Sam getting the shield. But I would have mm-hmm. liked a time where Bucky had it for a little while, mm-hmm. uh, and then then let it end up with Sam. And then you know the the deal with Tony. I get why they tell the story the way they did. But did did you read that there's a deleted scene where Tony snaps everything back to five years ago, basically just undoes what Thanos did, and then he meets Morgan in the in uh, the Soul Stone the way that Thanos met young Gamora.
0: Yeah, if I'm not mistaken, I think I told you about that.
1: Okay, well you then okay, thank you for telling me about that. I still don't know if I wouldn't prefer that because I, my mind goes to like all these scenarios um You know, what about the the mom who had, uh, you know, she was pregnant and the fetus got snapped out of existence. She lives for five Mm -hmm. years and wakes up one day and she's six months pregnant. Yeah. Or the the guy whose wife disappeared or vice versa. They wait, you know, several years, get remarried and all of a sudden their spouse is back. You know, like there's all these dilemmas. And I don't know what we know of Tony Stark by the end of Endgame makes me think that he might have just played the odds on. Uh, let's reset everything and you know take take the the hit that it is to me personally. I'm not saying that would be better. I just wonder if I wouldn't prefer it. Yeah, so those are the kind of questions that come out of it, which maybe is the strength of the movie actually that it leaves you asking good questions. Um, mm-hmm. But the fact that they're there, I didn't have those with Winter Soldier and Black Panther. like I just thought every every string was tied up by the time those movies were over. Which may not be what everybody prefers. I don't always prefer it. I, I like lingering questions sometimes, but nonetheless, those those would be my small quibbles. I got you. Okay,
0: that's. I mean, that, that's fair. And I think those are. I think those are. You know, sound questions. You know, uh, sometimes we tend to nitpick things, and <laughs> you know, sometimes you tend to nitpick things. And you're like, okay, come on, man, you don't need to nitpick that. But I, I think all that stuff that you just said, or.
1: Or apps, you
0: know, or, or uh, good reasons to say that this movie is not perfect. But
1: yeah, and here's the thing: I don't feel like I'm nitpicking because if there was never another Marvel movie made, I would be entirely satisfied with what they have accomplished. You know, so yeah. I mean, you are kind of criticizing a couple brushstrokes on the Mona Lisa. I know that's hyperbole, but um, in terms of pop culture cinema, uh, it doesn't get much better. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Uh, Scale one to 10. What would you give it? Yeah, I'm just going to give it a 10. Yeah. I mean, I guess there are shades of 10s. And that's all I'm going to, that's the only way I'm going to indicate that I think it's just slightly under perfect. But I mean, what can you really complain about? There, you know, there might be questions or whatnot, but what can, there's nothing that's a weakness. So,
0: right. You? Yeah, I agree. Uh, Same thing, man. 10 all the way around. Uh, I, I love this
1: movie 3000 Yeah. I, I've never went to check this out but I saw it uh, reported a couple different places that the total runtime of the Marvel Cinematic Universe up to that point was 3000 minutes yeah yeah uh, man
0: yeah it's a it's a clever meme on uh on facebook right now but i i you know i haven't went back and checked it myself
1: yeah whatever the truthfulness turns out to be that's that's a uh it's a poignant way to think about this series and man i'm just so i'm so happy that we got to to have this i mean we've mentioned it a hundred times on here but if you'd have told me in middle school that i would ever see one movie the quality of what we've gotten from marvel cinematic um i would have been blown away and to to see the heights we actually did get in just the first phase is i don't know it just feels really uh it feels like a rich gift
0: yeah absolutely and you know they've set up some really great characters for the next stage and i'm excited to see where that takes us but i'll, I'll be honest with you man i don't know if i'll ever be as hyped for those movies as i was for for this round you know
1: absolutely
0: but uh, mm-hmm. glad glad I got to glad I got to live through it and glad to got to be a part of it. And, yeah, like I said, man, can't wait to I can't wait to own that movie. And I, you know, I may buy it for three or four different times just to make sure that I've got it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, well, let's get to the main event. Yeah, baby. So, let's go back in our way back machine to May thirteenth, nineteen ninety four. Let's talk about the crew.
1: All right. So let me just remind us all what era we're in here, because 1994 seems, I guess, in some ways, closer and further away. Uh, In 94, Lisa Marie Presley married Michael Jackson. (laughs) Kurt Cobain committed suicide.
0: Uh,
1: I just cherry picked some of the most, um, if not the best movies of the era, uh, the ones that stood out to my mind. So we got Pulp Fiction that year. We got the Shawshank Redemption and Forrest Gump. We got the Lion King and we got um, Dumb and Dumber. (laughs) Sorry. That's where the world was. One of these things is not like the other. Well, I mean, that's all, you know, there's a lot of world changing stuff that happens there. (laughs) So Friends debuted in 94. Mm -hmm. Uh, the, The original PlayStation debuted in 94. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. And both Amazon and Yahoo were founded in 94. Okay. Uh, And then just the other thing, it didn't really change the world, but it it sure felt pretty earth rattling at the time. Uh, We watched OJ Simpson and Al Callings go on a long drive through Los Angeles. Yeah. So that that's the world into which the crow stepped. I mean, the crow was before some of that and after some of it. But that—that that, I mean, that's where we're at when we're thinking about this film. Hey, man, can
0: I tell you the top 10 songs uh, from Billboard magazine's top 100 in 1994? Yeah, lay it on me. All
1: right. Uh, Number 10, Don't Turn Around, Ace of Base. Oh, yeah, man. Ace of Base holds up.
0: Yeah. Number nine, All That She Wants, Ace of Base.
1: Okay, man. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Uh, Number eight, All for Love, Brian Adams, Rod Stewart, and Sting.
1: Yeah. Colder, colder. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
0: Um, Breathe Again by Tony Braxton, number seven. Yeah. Number six, Stay, I Missed You by Lisa Loeb and Nine Stories.
1: I think this is the year that Left Eye Lisa from TLC got arrested for burning down Andre Risen's house as well. Since you mentioned that either, Lisa, it
0: was either '94 or '98. Okay. Yeah, I forget. Um, number five, "Hero" by Mariah Carey. Yeah. Uh, number four, "The Power of Love" by Celine Dion. And check out, check this out, man. The number, the top three. These are, these are a product of their time. Number three, "I'll Make Love to You" Boys to Men. Number two, I swear, all for one. And can you you want to take a guess as to what the number one song was in
1: 1994? Man, I should know. I mean, um, it's probably it's not anything grunge, right? Because I think no, I think no, that
0: that it pretty much passed us by
1: by this point. OK, man, I guess I, I, I don't have a guess, man. You have to lay it on me.
0: I saw the sign.
1: Ace of Base. Ace of Base. They own 94, dude.
0: Yeah, they did, man. I remember remember going to the skating rink, and that's all they would play is Ace of Base. And I'd be like, for goodness sakes, play something else.
1: Yeah. Dude, those Ace of Base songs, I would still be excited to hear come up on my, you know, Pandora or whatever streaming station I'm listening to.
0: Oh yeah, man! I, uh, you know what? I listened to it not too long ago. I put yeah. together a '90s playlist, and I put all that Ace of Base stuff
1: on there. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, it was good stuff. And speaking of soundtracks, did did you pay attention to the soundtrack of this film much? Um, yeah, you know, a little bit. Um, the, Corgan did it, right? Well, I mean, there's there's a ton of guys on it um, or a ton of bands from that era. So like Rage Against the Machines on there. Uh, I think Trent Reznor covered a Joy Division song on it. Um, It's just a time capsule. Like, it's the music I was listening to. Of course, I was also listening to like Tupac, but it was that kind of alternative, emotional Uh, Kind of whiny, but (laughs) nonetheless, music. And then you know, gangsta rap uh, that that defines that that year for me musically. Even though Ace of Base certainly was on my radar, and (laughs) you know, just hearing the songs in this film, it's a it's a quick snap back to more nostalgic times. You're more nostalgic for, I guess. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I guess I was wrong on that. For some reason, I thought that Billy Corgan. There's a movie. Isn't there a movie that the Smashing Pumpkins did like the entire soundtrack to? Oh, I'm sure.
1: And if he's yeah. not on this soundtrack, it's the great oversight. Like, I have to believe their track got left on the floor or he was feeling especially prima donna y because he's exactly. The the you know his art his art is the kind of stuff that showed up on this soundtrack one hundred percent.
0: Yeah, he's I mean, Smashing Pumpkins is the only band on here that I wouldn't that I would think should be on here. The Cure, mm-hmm. Stone Temple Pilots, Nine Inch Nails, Rage Against the Machine, Rollins Band, Pantera. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah,
1: that is the most nineties thing ever. You can take away your nineties playlist and just play the soundtrack, and you're in the nineties. You know? Yeah. That's wild. I
0: can throw a "Kiss from a Rose" and um, I believe I can fly on there. And you pretty much got all the great movie uh, songs of the '90s. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: Which I mean, I know a lot of our listeners. This is going to be too old for, uh, but I'm assuming for uh, a lot of the listeners also, this is the same kind of nostalgia bump that you get when you watch a movie like this. You know, it goes harkens yeah. back to if not childhood, uh, early adulthood, and yeah, it, it, in a fun way, I guess.
0: Yeah, Oh show.
1: Sure. Well, hey, speaking of The Crow, I, I was talking to Jody about this while we stood in line to to pay for Joe Bob's gimmicks last night. I realized that there are, well, it, it's a collection of films and The Crow. They're, they're basically two cinematic creations that I have bought in every generation of tech that they were released on. Um, and that's Star Wars. I've had Star Wars from VHS to Blu-ray. I don't think they've released a 4K edition yet, mm-hmm. but I'll buy it. Yeah. And I have had The Crow from Blu-ray to to whatever the last edition is. I don't think they belong in the same category, but it says something about me personally in the way that this film grabbed my attention. You know, it's 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 yeah. hung with me.
0: Yeah. You know, I so this movie obviously was on my radar from the beginning. You now, I, I wasn't into the crow comic. So I didn't know much about it, but you know, I, the, the biggest thing about this was the, the Brandon Lee tragedy.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And, um, so trying to figure, you know, trying to, trying to see that, see what they did or how they worked around it. And, you know, even at eight or nine, I was still pretty like, I got to see this movie. Cause I need to know how they work around, you know, this, this guy passed away through the movie and stuff. And, you know, going back and rewatching this, man, Brandon Lee should have been one of the biggest stars. Like he should have been one of the biggest movie stars in the world.
1: I was going to ask you about that. i kind of got things chopped up uh, here under headings. And the one that leads with Brandon is if you think that he is as good as we feel like he was or Mm -hmm. if he got the died too young bump. And so you're definitely in the he was as good as we're all kind of looking back, concluding that he was
0: yeah I think so man I don't know if, if like he's as, as I don't know if he's like as technical or as like Robert Downey jr you know or stuff like that but when he comes on the screen you, you, that's where your that's where your focus goes
1: mm-hmm.
0: and you know especially in the 90s that's what made a movie star. Yeah. Right. Like you didn't have to be the world's greatest actor. You just needed to be someone who captivated an audience. And I could easily see and this may be sacrilege and I'll take the hits. But I could easily see, you know, nine years from from the time this movie comes out, uh, Brandon Lee being a sun-kissed pirate, uh, you know, Jack Captain Jack Sparrow on Pirates of of the Caribbean. Mm hmm. You know, like he he just has that same kind of presence about him. And uh, you know, so I, I don't I don't know if like his acting chops are as good as, you know, you, you would think of like Heath Ledger or or Downey or Christian Bale or uh, Daniel Day Lewis or anything like that, but he always catches your eye. He's always I mean obviously obviously he's the main character in this. He's the crow, so you're always looking for him, but you know, this movie lives or dies, no pun intended, with him. Yeah. And yeah. when he's not on the screen, you're just you're waiting for him to come back on the screen.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm with you. I mean, I, I watched this probably with my most critical eye this time because I knew I was reviewing it and wanted to give it a serious effort. Um, most of the time before, I've just watched it for pleasure. Um, the scene in Albrecht's apartment where... He, you know, he finds out what happened to Shelley after he died. And um, I just think that's incredible acting, basically. And, you know, when at the end, Albrecht asks, asks him, are you going to jump out the window? And he says, I think I'll use the front door. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought that was incredibly well delivered like it I, you know we're supposed to feel very sorry for him and and you do uh but the thing about this movie is it's it's a revenge movie and every character is kind of two dimensional because you need to hate them or you need to root for them and they don't have a lot of time to to give you nuance you know Yeah but that that scene in the apartment with Albrecht is where I most connect with Eric Graven as a guy who's been wronged. And yeah, for all the supernatural stuff he's caught up in and the vengeance quest he's on, uh, he's still a dude who loved a woman and had, had, had those good things taken from him too quickly. I I don't know what it is about the scene itself capturing that for me, but like that is a definitive line delivery and scene in that movie for me. Yeah. And I think it says something about what, what he could attain to as an actor. So I'm, I'm with you. Like he probably never rose to the to the heights of a of a Heath Ledger or some of the other, you know, maybe even a, a River Phoenix. But considering how young his career was, I definitely think we've got reason to think he would get there. Yeah, I I agree. So you said you didn't know much about the comic. Um, it's I didn't know independent comics existed in 1994, mm-hmm. but I've since learned about James O'Barr, who created this. And do you know much about his story? I don't. So basically, the Crow is born out of his own tragedy. His fiance was killed by a drunk driver when he was 18. Oh, my goodness. And he ended up going to the military uh, in 78 and was trying to work through this stuff and decided, hey, I'll I'll put it on paper. And so he started creating The Crow, worked on it till like, 81, but he said it didn't help him. Like, he he just got darker and darker. And the comic book, I've went back and read since then. And, like, you know, this is a pretty dark movie, but the deaths are much more violent in the comic book. And so anyway, he said that it kind of took him to a darker place and he didn't get catharsis until he saw the film as a finished uh, production. Mm. But anyway, he wrote this thing, finished in 81. Nobody wanted it. It wasn't published till 89, Uh, but it went on to become the best selling independent comic of all time. Wow. Yeah. And, I mean, that's true as of like five years ago. I haven't looked since then, but I think I would know. Uh, maybe I wouldn't, but I think I would know if that had been broken. So it, it's pretty impressive material. And and the comic is a little bit um, – it looks a little rudimentary by today's standards, but it's a really great read. I mean, it holds up, mm-hmm. man. Um, do, you, uh, do
0: you think that it was because – I mean, was that before the movie came out or since the movie came out that it's, it's become that?
1: The best-selling? Yeah, Yeah, since then, you know, it's sold like crazy before. But of course, the movie, what happened with Brandon Lee, all that's going to I mean, and also culture like there are people who are listening to this podcast who are going to scream at me when I say this. But I I can only talk about it from my lived experience. What would have been described in our high school as first goth and then emo? Mm -hmm. That showed up in culture, maybe in part because of The Crow, but certainly The Crow, if it wasn't driving it, it was a it was a piece of pop culture that people in that that um, community really latched on to. And so there's a lot of stuff happening that I think that accounts for the sales. But nonetheless, I think it speaks to the inherent value of the story before it becomes a yeah. movie and all that, too. Uh, speaking of it as a revenge movie, I'm just going to run. I'm going to run through the deaths in this movie and you tell me which one your favorite is. Okay. Um, one of them's not a death, but it's a, it's certainly an act of vengeance. So Tintin. So, um, he's the first guy that, that Eric encounters after his resurrection. Eric uses his own knives to torture and kill the criminal. And then he, he later draws that emblem in blood from Tintin's body or from Tintin's blood. Mm-hmm. Next up is Gideon, the pawn shop owner who doesn't die, but is burned in the explosion of his shop. Uh, a fun boy dies with needles in his chest, T-Bird is strapped into a car that's about to blow up and is driven into the river uh, by whatever Eric rigged up to to lock in the steering wheel, and then lastly you've got Top Dollar who Eric kills by giving her giving him rather all of Shelley's pain. Uh, as a revenge movie, what's your favorite act of revenge here?
0: I mean, this probably seems like the cop-out answer, but man, I really top dollar for me is the most cathartic mm-hmm. and going back and rewatching this movie. And I, I probably did not watched this movie in, in about a year. I think I picked it up. You know, I think you and I had talked about doing this movie last year, reviewing this movie last year, uh, because I'd watched it and I just forgotten how good it was. Yeah. But watching him finally serve justice to top dollar, Man, it's just really, really nice.
1: <laughs> sure. It's the most surprisingly just death in the movie. Like, you knew that Top Dollar had to die. Yeah. But it just struck me. I mean, and of course, this is a superhero who's created with specific powers to serve the the narrative aims that the storyteller wants to tell. But that he has these empathy powers. Um, it was just like, oh, that is the perfect way for this guy to die. And I wish every victimizer in the world had to experience what Top Dollar lived through right then. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I yeah, wish absolutely. that's what we could sentence people to in our legal system. Yes. Now, having said all that, I, I'm going to go back to Ten Ten. Okay. I think Tintin's death and encounter, it just, it kind of sets everything up about this movie. Uh, you realize the power that Eric is dealing with. You realize the mission he's on and you realize that this is not a guy who's going to like live by the noble superhero code. Mm-hmm. And the thing I really appreciate about it is, again, it's it's so important to a revenge movie. But we see Tintin when in the home invasion uh, scene, when they are tormenting Shelley in, in various different ways, he licks the blood off his knife mm-hmm. and that Eric takes his instruments away from him and uses them against them is exactly what you want when you see victims rise up against victimizers, right? You want to see them disarmed and have to suffer as they've made others, which is actually better captured in Top Dollars, you've already said. But there's something about Eric making him eat the blades that he used to to taste the blood of his fiance from that if I get in my, like, vengeance is necessary mindset, I just found it deeply satisfying. Yeah. And they do some of that with with the fight between Ten Ten and him. It's really the only you know, until the end where we get like a mono mono matchup with the crow. When, uh, when when Eric is able to dodge the knives, but then catch them, and, and mm-hmm. Tintin, the guy who acted him out, delivers it. He realizes now that he has been literally disarmed. And what, what he had used to inflict uh, torment on other people was of no use against this guy. You, you know, it, it feels like the world is becoming more just as soon as Eric catches that knife. Yeah. I guess... And I, again, I told you I had it kind of chunked up here in, in certain different categories. Any, you know, before we move on from like scenes, was there anything in this that that really grabbed your attention? Like, if 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 someone says the crow, what scene do you think of first? The
0: honestly, the one where he's pulling the heroin out of that guy's or out of that mom's arm.
1: Yeah, dude, that's the other one I've got listed here. Me too. Like that just stays yeah. with you. Yeah. And I could, no matter where I'm at, I could repeat that line. You know, mother is the name for God on the lips of all children. Like uh, when I first heard that, it was like seared into my brain.
0: Yeah, I think I think that's probably my favorite quote in the whole movie. And yeah, I mean, I just, you know, I remember as a, you know, I probably watched this when it came out on VHS. I don't think where I went to the theater and saw it. So I was probably nine by that point. Mm -hmm. And just as a nine year old kid. This movie blew my mind anyway. But as a nine-year-old kid watching, you know, this guy take this poison out of this person's body it was just—it it does. It's, you know, you're right. It just—it stays with you.
1: I know there's CGI in this movie, and I've read online that people, you know, say it doesn't hold up super well. I think this is a case where, like, my nostalgia just overrides my criticism. Mm-hmm. But that is—that's one of the great special effects that I have seen in the movies that are most important to me. I mean the christine scene where the where the car heals itself is probably my favorite ever but watching the morphine ooze out of her veins i just thought man that's incredible that's i mean this you know this angel of death and vengeance also uses his powers for good in a way that was just visually arresting. It it just took the movie up a notch for me, I think.
0: Yeah. Uh, You know, I had wondered if you were going to call me on it or not because I make fun of Event Horizon's horrible CGI. (laughs) And this, this one does have, it's not the best, you know, obviously it was 1994 and we've gone along in the last 25 years, but uh, I'm the same way as you, man. I can watch this movie anytime. And just my nostalgia hits, and so I, I don't care. Yeah, and I think that that's what you know. That's probably what separates it from uh, Event Horizon is the fact that I didn't grow up on that movie. Sure, but I grew up on I grew up on the Crow, and I, I think it's blasphemy for people to want to. <laughs> You know, for people to want to try to say anything negative or cruel about the CGI in this one.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm with you. I mean, that, his his wounds heal and all that stuff. Fine, I'm not worried about that at all. Um, it, it looks plenty good enough for me to to get to what I really actually like about this movie. And okay, if if you can't meet me there, cool. Let's just not talk about it because I'm perfectly happy. Yeah. Did you know that Michael Berryman, who I guess some people are going to think of as um, the the guy from Weird Science, the, the strange looking guy from Weird Science, and obviously as a Robert Downey Jr. fan, I know you're, uh, probably a fan of that movie, too. But yes, our horror community is going to know him as Pluto, the inbred mutant from The Hills Have Eyes. OK. Did you know he was in this movie and all his stuff was cut out? No, I didn't know that. Yeah. So I I found this watching Joe Bob Briggs. He uh, I'm just slowly trying to work back through his shutter stuff and I'm watching the Thanksgiving uh, movies. Well, he brings Berryman on when they watch The Hills Have Eyes and he brings up the crow. And, you know, my ears perked up. Um, there's this character in the comics called the Skull Cowboy, who is a more like he does the same stuff the crow does in guiding Eric, but he's he can talk. And so he tells him ex- explicit stuff and Barryman pray, played that character. But has cut all those scenes because basically the, the Skull Cowboy is there to say you can only work on revenge. You can't help the living. So like when he goes and helps Darla. um Skull Cowboy is there To be like That's not You're gonna kill yourself If you do that That'll deactivate your powers And mm. when he goes To rescue I, I can't remember her name uh, I know Shelley and Darla What was the The little kid's name
0: Oh man Um Give me a second
1: Well we'll call her The yeah. little kid Um That's fine when he goes, Sarah, to, Sarah, thank you. When he goes to rescue Sarah, the Skull Cowboy shows up and says, you're going to be mortal if you go do this because your powers are given only for revenge. You can't help help the living. And uh, I, I'd like to see Michael Berryman in this, but I think they made the right decision to cut that stuff out, to tie his powers to the crow rather than the mission. Yeah, but all this stuff is available online. You can go find these YouTube clips where what's left of these cutscenes are spliced back huh. in, and uh, they're they're readily available on YouTube.
0: Yeah, man, I need to do that because I I think that actually would have been good to keep in.
1: Oh yeah, okay, yeah. It, it, it we'll just do more exposition.
0: Yeah, you kind of have your. I mean, can you call him the conscience for the crow? I don't know if you call him that or not. Like, oh, he's he's. uh He's his whistler. Yeah. Right? Like Blade had whistler.
1: Uh Uh-huh. That would have been the Crows. Sure. Sure. Uh, I mean, I get it. I I guess I'm going to stand by better to not have that guy because I think Prulyas saw him as redundant. I just think it's it's easier to tie the powers to the health of the Crow, and it it helps you like— Eric is a human more because you see that he's still working for good, not just for revenge. Sure. But, uh, I mean, far be it for me to say Michael Perryman shouldn't be in uh shouldn't be in the, in the movie. Yeah. Hey, speaking of in the movie, I totally
0: forgot that Tony Todd was in this movie until rewatching it this time.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, some of this, some of the acting in this is, is a pleasant surprise that way. Yeah. Speaking of that, um, I mean, I know that the the elephant in the room is the death of Brandon Lee uh Michael Mass, who plays Fun Boy, I didn't know till I started looking into it now uh I say mass it's M-A-S-S-E-E, so it's probably massy mm-hmm. mm-hmm. uh he's the one who pulled the trigger that killed Brandon mm-hmm. Lee. I didn't right. know that yeah uh did you see like i I don't want to explain it to our listeners if if you saw it as well, but did you see how it affected him I did yeah, so he he never saw the movie. He took several years off of acting. He died not too long ago, uh, but in 2005, he told Extra that you just don't ever get over something like that, and that he's lived with guilt with you know over it forever.
0: Yeah, he passed uh, in 2016 from uh, from
1: cancer. He was like 64, right? Uh, I believe so. Yeah, sixty. Yeah, 64. Uh, man, that just sucks. I had always yeah. thought as a kid that Brandon was shot in the uh, the confrontation with the gangsters before Devil's Night. Okay. And it just made more sense to me that if you have a bunch of guns firing, one of them might be the one that's in error. Yeah. And to realize there is one particular guy who pulled the trigger, that's just, that's crushing, man. I can't yeah. imagine living with that.
0: Yeah. I Man, I couldn't either. And... You know, you you got to feel for uh, Michael Massey on that because it's just I mean, there's no words, you know, yeah. it's just a it's a really unfortunate, tragic accident. And, yeah, I mean, you know, he took I think he took a year off okay. um, a year. of acting. And for me, I think that would
1: have been it, man. Yeah. I mean, it'd be hard for that to to not be it for your public life. I, I, I don't know. I just yeah. can't imagine he should have never been put in the position. Uh, it just shouldn't have happened like that, and it and it did, man. And he's he had to live with it. Do you, yeah. you, know, do, you uh, do you want to walk people through how that came to pass that that uh, Bradley sure. was shot?
0: Yeah. Uh, so in the in the scene where uh, Eric finds his fiance being beaten, uh, amongst other things, uh, Massey's character fires uh, what is known as a Smith and Wesson Model six two nine. Uh, magnum revolver and in the previous scene uh, they used the same gun it called for a dummy cartridge Uh, it had no primer or powder on it Uh, it was to be loaded in the revolver for a close up scene Film scenes, they utilize a revolver where the bullets are visible from the front, but they don't necessarily require the gun to actually be fired. The dummy cartridges provide the realistic appearance of actual rounds. Does all that make sense? Yep. Okay. So instead of purchasing a commercial dummy cartridge, the film's prop crew created their own, <laughs> my goodness, by pulling the bullets from live rounds, dumping the powder charge, and then reinserting the bullets. Um, However, they unknowingly or unintentionally left the live primer in place at the rear of the cartridge. And then at some point during filming, the revolver was apparently discharged with one of these improperly deactivated cartridges uh, that set off the primer with enough force to drive the bullet partway into the barrel where it became stuck, uh, which is commonly known as a squib load. And I guess the prop crew just didn't realize it or failed to recognize it. or um, I, I'm not real sure.
1: I've read, read in other articles that the main prop guy had gone home for the day and like an assistant had been tasked. This is crazy in hindsight, oh, but an assistant had been tasked with handling this. And that's where the, the screw up went happened. Gotcha. Yeah.
0: Um. So, yeah. So anyway, you know, this bullet. And it, uh, it got Brandon in the in the abdomen and uh, he was rushed to the new Hanover Regional Medical Center in Wilmington, North Carolina. He went underwent surgery for six hours. Uh, and on March 31st, 1993, at one oh three p.m. Eastern Time, uh, Brandon Lee was pronounced dead and the shooting was ruled an accident. Due to negligence, Brandon Lee was 28 years old, Jeff. Man,
1: yeah. It sounds like a baby at this point, you know?
0: Yeah you know what's crazy is um we already tied something back to wrestling so i guess it's apt to do it again um 20 years ago yesterday on may 23rd 1999 owen hart um tragically lost his life in an accident that didn't revolve that didn't involve bullets but it was a stunt that went awry Mm -hmm. and you know one of the things that I uh, one of the new podcasts I listen to is a podcast called Grilling Jr. with uh, Conrad Thompson and Jim Ross, and where you know Jr. was sitting there at ringside while Owen fell seventy eight feet to his death um, in front of twenty thousand people. And one of the things that they spoke about on the podcast this week, I mean, they, they talked about that pay-per-view, and um, they talked about the fact that this this guy came in saying that he was the one that had been harnessing
1: Sting for the last couple of years. Uh, Sting, obviously, his gimmick being based on the Crow. Exactly. Exactly. And come to find out this guy had never harnessed Sting. He had just
0: been with a company and was somewhat like the, you know, how you said the main stunt guy went home for the day. Well, that's pretty much what happened in this situation, too. I
1: don't know.
0: And there was a quick release mechanism. Uh, So anyway, Owen was supposed to rappel down from the rafters to get into the ring, much like Sting would do. Um, to fight the bad guys. Owen was going to rappel down to the ring. There was a quick release mechanism. Owen apparently was trying to readjust his cape and hit it and then just fell. And, uh, I don't know, man, it's just, it's, it's, weird the timing you know yeah. talking about talking about this movie and then that happening yesterday and the whole reason that that happened was because the WWF was trying to incorporate some of the same stuff you know I don't know if it was if they were trying to spoof Sting because Owen Hart's character at the time was called the Blue Blazer and the Blue Blazer was a was a comedy character so I don't know if they were trying to make fun of Sting or what the situation was but it ultimately um, it led to the loss of a of a man that was universally loved the rest of business. And uh you know, it's just it's crazy to me that something similar like this happened on the side of the crow to someone who arguably could have been one of the biggest stars in the world. Yeah. Had his, you know, was I mean was on the precipice of his career really taken off.
1: I mean there are there's just connections to other deaths in this that that are like the worst kind of parallels. Like you like you're talking about with uh Owen. And again, there's a there's a direct line back into um uh the 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 crow, right, because of Sting and replicating that you know, on WWE's part. On the other side of that, same year, not too much, uh you know, March, April, so Kurt Cobain kills himself. He, you know, he's, he's very much part of the community that this movie is drawing on. Uh, you know, most of mm-hmm. the, like, companion acts are on the soundtrack and, you know, just a matter of days. It's not even close to a month. It's like nine days. After Brandon Lee dies, Kurt Cobain's out too. I mean, it's just... Yeah. It just sucks all the way around, man. Yeah. I uh, I did find this interview that DK Blair did with James O'Barr pretty soon after the movie released. And he asks, Barr, how did Brandon's death affect you? And so he says, when Brandon died, I had a very, very hard time. That's obviously the feelings of guilt and responsibility were enormous. But he goes on to say stuff I didn't realize uh, and I should have. <laughs> but the similarities between Eric's death and Brandon's. Well, he uh, this is James O'Barr's. Words it almost lends itself to a supernatural interpretation. So Brandon was killed filming the scene in which Eric is killed in the film and the book. This occurs right before Eric's wedding. Brandon was set to get married just a few days after the filming of the of the movie was finished. Um, and he you know he goes on to be like this this is just too close to home. Basically, you know. Um, I, mean, I don't know what else to say about it other than it just sucks sucks sucks. And I hate that this is the way the real world plays out.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's it's nuts. You know, I was um, listening to that Owen Hart podcast last night and I was thinking, you know, he wore a mask like he was in a superhero costume. Why don't you make a superhero costume for somebody who is his body type, a stuntman, you know, who is trained to do stuff like this and have them do that. And then you've got all the pyro and ballyhoo that you can you know think to give him the old switcheroo or or even you know have like his opponent in the ring and this guy comes down and he's fumbling with his mechanism and he can't get it undone and then you have owen come in from behind and attack the guy like
1: uh-huh.
0: you, you know there's a million and, and obviously it's easy to play you know armchair booker now you know that 20 years has gone by but yeah, man there just seems like there's There's better ways and safer ways to do things like that. The same thing here, you know, it just feels like these guys should have been taking better care of their of their actors and their talent. And, you know, if they would have, then, you know, there's there's a good possibility that we would still have Brandon Lee here today. I mean, you know, he'd be 53 at at this point, Mm, which doesn't which doesn't seem old at all. Sure. You know. And it's just it's just tragic, man. It's just really, really tragic.
1: Well, I know you're not saying that, like, better a stuntman to die than Owen, but we know Owen was really uncomfortable with what this required of him. Right. And somebody who was a professional, who was confident in what he's doing, you've got to assume they would have much better odds of doing it safely. And like you said, if there's a mask involved, what's the big deal? You know? Yeah, But sadly, hindsight uh, is what we're working with because it can't be it can't be fixed. Right.
0: And it's you know, it's unfortunate. And, you know, you you hate you just hate to see talented people have their lives cut short, especially, you know, for Owen. Owen had two years left on his contract and then he was probably going to retire. And and think about this, Jeff. Owen was 34 when he died. I mean, I'm, I'm turning 34 this year. Sure like the that shouldn't happen.
1: Yeah, 100%. And, you know, he
0: he had two kids and a beautiful wife and you know, they've had to grow up without him. And you know, the same thing for Brandon Lee. Brandon Lee was 28 years old and had you know, I I know the it's cliché to say that the world was his oyster, but it really was. Yeah. And you know, and his poor
1: fiancé, you know, like they're they're looking to get married. Yeah. I mean, it's just it, it like every tragedy. And again, like you said, you hate to see a talented person taken. Every human death is a tragedy. There's this not like not in a way that makes it more weighty, but there's this other layer of like he had so much to offer to the rest of the world. Um But you see this ripple effect catching up James Barr and uh Massey, who pulled the trigger and his fiance. And like it just it just washes out over people. And it. I mean, it's heartbreaking. There's nothing you can do. These events have already taken place, but it's heartbreaking to kind of have to go back and re examine it. Yeah. Yeah. It is. Well, the,
0: the um, last hate oh, to, uh, I was just going to say, to bring it to 2019, I don't know if you know this or not, but um, the person who came in and finished. The crow for Brandon Lee was a gentleman by the name of Chad Stahelski. Okay, Stahelski, excuse me, and he is the gentleman who
1: directed John Wick three. Oh, really? Okay. Well, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. And speaking and so of, 2019, kind of Oh, sorry, <laughs> I don't know why we're stepping on each other <laughs> lately, but yeah,
0: it, it's fine. I feel like I think there's a little bit of a of a lull in like oh lag in on, the connection. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm sorry, um, but anyway, so. Uh, Stahelski actually had a little tribute for Brandon Lee on the set of John Wick 3. That's where I was getting at.
1: Oh yeah, I wonder if there's any record of this stuff. I'd love to. I'd love to see that. You know, I wonder if like anybody throw that up on yeah. YouTube or anything.
0: Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I'm just. I'm on a. Uh, I'm on w- MovieWeb.com right now, and there's a there's an article about it. I'll send you the link.
1: Yeah, please do. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. So. Well, I, you know, they, there has uh, – the where I was going to take the 2019 reference is that there is talk of a remake, but it has la- – you know, it's languished forever. And we got news yeah. last year that Jason Momoa was going to participate, but it looks like everybody has walked away from that thing at this point. It,
0: it, yeah. You know, every – if it feels like every three years there's a new, hey, such and such is going to do the crow. Uh-huh. And it, it ultimately falls by the wayside. And I, I'm at the point now where – it's, it, it needs, like, it has to be somebody really good to
1: remake this thing. Otherwise, I don't want it to happen. Sure. Sure. I read that um o, uh, Obar has committed to writing the script, which gives me some hope. I assume he would treat it with respect. But the last director that was uh, attached to it, basically, it came to him and said, I'm not going to remake the 94 film. I'm not going to touch that at all. I just want to do a shot-for-shot remake of your comic. And that was oh. when Momoa was attached. And I thought, you know, if you're going to do it, Let's try it that way. You know what I mean? Like, somebody owns the rights to this. Uh, Obar has had nothing to do with any of the sequels in this franchise. They've all been terrible. Somebody with those rights is going to make another one of these. And if if we're going to do it, let's do try to stay away from the the Brandon Lee film. Let's try to cut a new path as much as possible. The last thing I've got, and I know we've got to wrap up here. Um, This movie has had a long tail uh, in terms of influence. So we talked about Sting, but I specifically wanted to run back through with you. Uh, Have you seen online these people who make comparisons between The Crow and Nolan's Batman films? No. No, I haven't. Well, I'm just going to throw some of the elements at you, and then you can tell me if you think there's anything to this or not. Right. Okay. Um, Obviously, Eric and Heath Ledger are working from behind Painted faces. Mm -hmm. And some people online have noted, I think this is a lesser one, but that Eric's like cold cream makeup or whatever it is Mm -hmm. fades away the longer the movie goes on. And that with the Joker, his uh, his makeup degenerates and gets flakier and whatnot as the movie goes on. Mm -hmm. And they see that as drawing inspiration from from the crow. I think this; these next two are more compelling uh, in order, so I'm going to go from least to most. The okay. least compelling is the comparison between the makeup stuff. Uh, the next is that we have that scene in The Crow where Eric lays out a fire emblem of The Crow and lights it on fire. Mm-hmm. And the Batman uh, emblem in fire shows up on the Dark Knight poster. Uh, And then the last one is, and there's a lot of YouTube videos where you can go, uh, you can go see these side by side. But the scene where Eric is approaching top dollars gathering of mobsters to to collect skank, Mm -hmm. uh, it does look very similar to the scene in which the Joker enters the collected mobsters of Gotham and confronts them to take leadership. And that's the one that is the strongest parallel to me.
0: Yeah, yeah, I never really thought about it until you brought it up. But, yeah, that's that actually has some weight.
1: Well, when you see those scenes play out side by side, next time you get a chance, and listener, I recommend that you do the same, just look for that on YouTube. It's an easy find. Um, I It feels pretty compelling once you watch it play out. Like even, you know, the crow comes in first and how the guys react and even the confrontation between Top Dollar and Eric, um, what, what's the kind of the lead gangster in that, uh, the Nolan film? I can't remember his last name. Eric Gamble.
0: Oh, Gamble. Eric
1: Roberts. Eric Roberts character. It, his name was Gamble. Yeah. Okay.
0: Uh, no, no, it wasn't. He was,
1: uh, Maroney. Mar- That's right. That's, I should remember yeah. that. So yeah. yeah, the, the reaction between Top Dollar and Maroney, there's just a lot of parallels. It makes me think that I, I couldn't find anywhere where Nolan addressed it, but it makes me think Nolan is definitely conversant with the crow. Yeah. Well, anything else you got on this one, man?
0: Ah, uh, no, man. I, you know, I just, I'm just really glad that we, that we decided to do this and really, it was really good to, um, check it out and watch it again. That's one, you know, the crows one of those movies that I feel like you should dust it off every year mm-hmm. and rewatch it and just appreciate it for what it is. And so I'm glad that we had the opportunity to do that. And I'm also glad we had the opportunity to, uh, you know, go long form on it and, and <clears throat> excuse me. And you know, talk about it and, and bring some really cool stuff up about the, the history.
1: Yeah, with you entirely. I appreciate you suggesting it. Um I, I know that we've kinda went into extra innings here. Do you wanna wrap us up and we'll get ready for I guess talking about uh Brightburn next week, right?
0: Yeah, man. We got Brightburn next week. Um so well anyway, man, let's I mean let's hit the let's hit the high notes, right?
1: Sure. Scale of one to ten. What are you giving this? Dude, I love this movie and I've watched it a ton. I'm probably gonna give it a higher rating than most people. I think this is like a seven and a half.
0: Okay, I'm actually going to go higher than that Give it an 8.
1: Okay, yeah, well I feel good I'm in your neighborhood. I mean, again, not a perfect movie and in hindsight maybe it doesn't hold up as well to to people who didn't meet it as young adults or children, but man, I love this movie and there's there's nothing I can can really criticize when I consider it as a product of 1994. I mean, over and against Endgame, sure, but in 94, this thing was awesome. Yeah,
0: I mean, this was the end-all be-all in 94. Yep, yes. Oh, Uh, do we see anything scary
1: man i don't think so i don't think i was scared the first time i saw it um nothing like stands out as a jump scare or anything like that so i'm gonna say no but not as a criticism
0: i'm gonna say yes okay and i'll tell you why um the 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 heroin scene has stuck with me for 25 years and as someone who grew up in a drug environment
1: oh yeah yeah
0: it just kind of it sticks with
1: you sure
0: and uh So, yeah, I don't think, you know, inherently there's anything like jump scary or anything like that. But that is a that is a scene that I'll I'll never forget more so for the personal implications that it had in my life.
1: Yeah, I got Um, you. I got you.
0: So yeah, I would say I'd say yeah. I saw something scary.
1: Okay. Well, no argument from me. I saw. A good and that movie, might man.
0: actually, yeah, that might actually be the first time that I've said yes and you've said no to that <laughs> yeah.
1: question. So maybe. I'll call you the Crow Uncle.
0: Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Uncle Crow over here trying to <laughs> fight the good fight. All right, man. Well, hey guys, thank you so much for listening. Uh, you know how to support us. Go to Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher SoundCloud, Spotify, YouTube, uh, Plenty of Fish, uh, I, wherever we're at, <laughs> and give us those coveted five-star reviews. Um, let us know what you're thinking about the show. Of course, we've got the Patreon campaign. Jeff, we got to figure out what we're going to do for Patreon
1: this month. I've got some nominations I'll discuss with you offline.
0: Okay, perfect. Uh, Patreon.com forward slash podcast. And you can help us grow this podcast uh, with your contributions to that. Um, of course, you can join our Facebook group, highly touted and praised. We saw something scary on facebook um if you're in the tennessee area i have a show in the hometown baby sparta tennessee on june the 21st uh at seven o'clock at bilberry farms yes you heard that right bilberry farms and bring in a couple of funny friends with me so you can get tickets for that at eventbrite.com just search my name He's a right, Jeff. I'm Derek Zoo. We're out of time. We're going to keep this comic book trend going next week with Brightburn. Uh, but until then, guys, keep your head up. Can't rain all the time. See you guys back here next week. Bye-bye.